Hey, hope you guys are happy to be here today, this evening. I know I am on a Wednesday night, right in the middle of our week. It's good to see you. You guys have been tracking with us through the Gospel of Luke. You'll realize we've come to the 15th chapter. We're doing well, right? You'll also realize that we're right kind of in the middle of a section in this wonderful book that's riddled with parables. And I don't know about you, but I love parables. I guess I'm just a sucker for a good story, you know? And that's really what a parable is. I find myself getting excited figuring out the story, right? I feel kind of drawn and enticed to try to figure it out, to figure out which actor I'm playing, right? And I don't know if you know, but that's really what a parable is. It's a story Jesus tells that has a parallel or a deeper spiritual truth that runs alongside of it. That's really the moral of the story, if you will. That's a parable. And that's really the purpose Jesus says himself in scripture that he writes and speaks in parables. Says in the gospels, he himself said that I will teach you in parables because I want to hide the truth. Not to hide it so we won't find it. He's hiding it so we'll be enticed and drawn to it. Kind of like the way we hide Easter eggs or we hide the story in a mystery novel. It draws us and entices us into trying to figure out the deeper meaning of it. He salts us so that we're thirsty for the spiritual truth that's running alongside of these stories he tells in the Bible. It's pretty awesome, huh? I love parables. You know, um, the state of the people at this time, these people were dull. The Bible says that they had grown dull. They were suffocating under the teaching of the unimaginative teaching of the religious elite at the time. The drabness of it said their ears were, were deaf and their eyes wouldn't see. They were just went dull and the people needed to be awakened, you see. In, in Jesus, the master teacher preacher knew exactly how to awaken people, how to entice them into wanting to know these truths. He told a story. He drew pictures so that we might see ourselves in these stories and these pictures and be drawn to them and want to learn the the spiritual truth. Amen? And I really hope that's your mindset, our attitude as we attack chapter 15, because we have three parables in this chapter. It's really one story, one parable in three parts. It really is. You could call it the parable of the lost things. We'll see that there's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and there's even a lost son. And each story (laughs) reveals the very heart of our God. His attitude and his activity that he undertakes on the behalf of the lost. It will show us how to view men the way Jesus views people. And that's a winner. And if we really look a little deeper, we might even discover why some people are lost. There's three examples here. The pattern of these three stories are simple, and it repeats itself. I want you to remember this pattern. The moral, it's one of the spiritual truths we need to just keep in mind as we navigate through these three stories is 
God's people are valuable to him. You are made in the very image of God. And you have an intrinsic value no matter what state you are in. You're valuable. You're important. And we need to keep that in mind. Jesus (laughs) wants us to know that. When he loses or is losing somebody, he will go to great length to reconcile them and find that lost person. And then when he does, he wants to celebrate both in heaven and on earth. That pattern repeats itself all the way through. Now listen, this is really a trilogy, in my opinion, of redemption and joy. Each story ends the same way, of the lost being found and great joy. Before we get to the first one, we might want to look at the first three verses and set the scene here. Really, find out why Jesus is telling this parable. Check it out in verse 1, chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. They wanted to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So there you have it. The reason he actually tells this story in three parts is in response to the objection of the religious elite for Jesus hanging out with retrobates, right? That's really what got him, got him really good, is that he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And not only that, what really got him is he was celebrating with them. He was having meals with them. Imagine that. It was an objection, but I think it's a beautiful objection. Can you see anything more beautiful than our Lord having an affinity to the retrobates, the outcasts, the untouchables in our society? These people, tax collectors, remember them? I'm sure you've heard up here from many of us going through this. They were hated people. These weren't public officials. These were private entrepreneurs that were really known as extortionists and spies. They would overcharge and extort, live high on the hog. They were working for, really, the Roman government. These Jews hated them. They spied on them. If the Roman Empire wanted to know what the Jews were doing, they'd ask the tax collectors. They would overcharge them, live on the balance, healthy lives. Hated them. Sinners, well, those are people that we all know very well, right? Look in the mirror. (laughs) These are your prostitutes, your gamblers, your thieves, your cheaters, your liars, people that didn't take their sacrifices to the temples, the sinners. And those people had a special affinity to our Lord. Imagine that. That's beautiful to me. And even more beautiful, Jesus had an affinity to them. They were hanging out all the time. They objected, the Pharisees did. They couldn't reconcile in their mind why Jesus would hang out with these people. These are outcasts. Why are you hanging out with them? You might get the sinnies, they would say. I'm glad Jesus doesn't look down his nose at the ostracized, the outcast the sinners, the tax collectors, the people on the outs. 
I'm so glad we serve a God that doesn't look down his nose like these Pharisees do and that like we do sometimes. Amen? I'm so happy. It's a beautiful objection. I think sometimes we can play the Pharisee here. We can look at some of these people and look at them as hopeless people, addicts, people who can't get over themselves or their vices. We write them off as the lost ones. They're the lost boys and girls in our society. We can write them off and say, God must be so disgusted with them. If you think that way, like these Pharisees did, you would be very, very wrong. Because it's not the picture that's going to be painted in these stories. We have much to learn and much to be corrected in our mind if we think that. Because we find the Lord celebrating, hanging out with them. And he wants to tell us a story in response to the objection of that. Are you ready? Let's take a look at it. The first one here is an awesome one. It's the parable of the lost sheep. Listen to this story. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Take that, Pharisees. The lost sheep, leaving the 99 to go get him, to carry him back on his shoulder. What a beautiful scene. What a beautiful picture. Amen? First thing I want you to remember about this story is that a sheep has a shepherd. And a sheep is a sheep. This isn't a story about a wild sheep that someone went and grabbed. This is a shepherd who lost one out of 100. It was his sheep. It belonged to him. He inadvertently got lost, lost his way, found himself alone and vulnerable. So the shepherd went to get his sheep. He did not count him a loss. Sheep is a sheep. And here's what I know about sheep. I'm not a big shepherd. I have other animals, but I have a neighbor who has sheep. And so I hear stories about sheep all the time. They're not the smartest animal in the barn. Let me tell you that. They aren't. They can oftentimes lose themselves. They're not the type of animal like a cow or a horse or some other animal that want to get out of what they're penned in. They just inadvertently lose themselves. Bite by bite, my neighbor tells me. They'll be in their flock and protected. They stay in a unit and one will go, look at that over there. Bite by bite, they end up far away. And then they'll just find out, I'm alone. I'm without my peoples. And they just lay down and bay. (sighs) Not the smartest animal in the world. Bite by bite, (laughs) they find out that they are far from the flock, alone, vulnerable, and very susceptible. Now listen, we like sheep have gone astray, amen? (laughs) 
This is the picture our Lord is painting for certain people like you and I that are intent on getting hooked into and engulfed in the present experience. We can be involved in so many awesome things in this world. And sometimes I think bit by bit we lose our way, not on purpose, we want to be together, but we get wrapped up into meaningfully good things, things like your job, good things, things like sports, things like politics, things like your service at church. Yeah, I just said, things like your service at church. It can be anything that keeps you busy and away from your Lord and with your fellowship. Sometimes we are involved in those things and they can be a blessing. And we don't make them idols and we use them to glorify God and it's beautiful. Sometimes we can use them, put our head down and wake up somewhere way down the road, finding ourselves wanting. Eventually waking up and realizing we're lost. We don't even know where our spiritual life is anymore. We've wandered far away. We feel empty. Our hearts are burdened. And we long to be back with our family and our relationship with the Lord. And then along comes the shepherd. He's a good shepherd, you know? The good shepherd comes along. And he leaves the 99 to find the one. Evidently, he likes the one percenters. (laughs) Evidently, the Lord's motto isn't do the most good for the most people. That's not his motto. See, that works in worldly things. It's do all the good for all the people. And if even one isn't there, all is not all. And it's a beautiful picture of our Savior, of our good shepherd, leaving and finding us and restoring us. Amen? And isn't that a picture of what Jesus did for us? He left something to come running for us, right? Philippians chapter 2 said that he left throne in glory. The eternal son of God, fully God and fully man, left and came searching for you and I. In the beginning of that chapter, it says, let this mind be in you that was within Jesus Christ. A humble mind that dropped from heaven to earth to find us and redeem us. And that's what we ought to be. We ought to look at the good shepherd and say, maybe we should be looking for the sheep. Maybe we should. You won't find these sheep. When I'm this sheep, you won't find me in church sometimes. These aren't people that willingly come. They want to belong, but they're not here. You got to be willing to leave and minister to these people in the workplace, on the job site, while you're watching your kids play sport, while you're giving them exams in doctor's offices, when you're grinding on their teeth, they can't talk. You can do as much as you want, dentist. Hmm. Sometimes we get so lost, we need a search party. And I'm thankful that there are people here in this church that go get people. I'm thankful that we have a good shepherd that goes, gets the one. Amen? A hundred percent. And when we find him, we ought to shoulder them. That's what he did. The good shepherd, what did he do? He put him on his back. Isn't that a beautiful picture, by the way, of a shepherd holding the lamb and walking back to the flock? 
What does that mean? When you do find someone, we might want to help them. Not say, God bless you, go in peace. You might want to undertake for them. You might want to assume some care and share your strength with them, I think is what it's saying. That's what the shepherd did, and that's what we should do. And when that happens, we all should celebrate. That's the pattern. Lost, found, rejoice. Rejoice with me, he says, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Amen? That's the story of the good shepherd, of the lost sheep. Now, as we move to the next story about a lost coin, I want you to understand, if you look at verse 8, it says, or. He just talks about the good shepherd and the lost sheep, and then he says, or. What woman woman having ten silver coins? This or links these together. He says, listen, same moral of the story, same spiritual truth, same idea, but let me paint a different picture for you. It's the same, but he's just giving you a little different look. And it might resonate to some people. He tells a story about a woman who lost a coin. She lost something so important that it just has to be found. It's the same idea Let me read it for you. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house out and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Same pattern. Something valuable is lost. Something's retrieved and redeemed. And then finally, we're going to celebrate. It's the same exact pattern, told in a little different way. And the first thing to remember about this story is the same thing we talked about a sheep, had a shepherd, belonged to him. Is this a coin just in general circulation, or does this coin belong to somebody? This coin belonged to a woman, it was her coin. She had 10 of them that were hers, and she lost one of them. And evidently, she likes the one percenters too, because one out of 10, (laughs) she likes the 10 percenters? She wanted that one coin. It was valuable. Now listen, these coins aren't worth that much money financially. These coins represented something much more important. This... Uh, we learn from people who study culture in these days. Those scholars say that these weren't just any coins. These were coins, they would know, these Jewish mind would know what this meant. To us, it's a handful of coins. To them, to the Jewish woman of this time, these coins were really important. They had way more value than the $1.60 or $2 that most scholars said this would combine. They were a set of coins that she would sew on her clothes It's part of her dowry, if you will. They'd put them in headdresses when they got wedded, and it was her contribution to the marriage. It was part of her dowry. It wasn't all of it, but it was part of it. It was important to her that she was presented with the full set. It was very, very important and valuable. The difference in this story to me is where she lost the coin. 
The sheep inadvertently got lost way, 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 way far away, and the shepherd had to go get it. The only thing different about this story to me is the coin is lost in her home. Right under her nose. She lost something right in front of her that was very valuable, and it was near to her. It was in her home. This could very well be speaking, at least to me, about the lost boys and girls that are under our nose, you see? These aren't people that you got to go get. These are people right here that are lost. These are people in our very homes. These are our kids that are lost. These are the neglected, the ignored, (laughs) the invisible right among us. And God help us all. God help us all. They're valuable. And God desires to make the set. And they're here amongst us. These are the neglected, the lonely, the ignored, the lost. We are to eagerly, it says here, eagerly seek diligently until we find them in our midst. She swept out the house and lit a lamp. We need to uncover these people where they are. It's a mandate for all of us as Christian parents to make sure our kids are not lost ones, that they don't feel invisible in our own homes, that we lead them in a godly way, and that we try to show them some truth. They may not listen, but sometimes it's in there. <laughs> and the ones here, these aren't people we have to go find. These are people right here, guys. This is also a parable of joy. Rejoice with me because I have found the coin that I lost. Amen? So those two go together very nicely. Important, lost, found, rejoice. Find someone far away, find something, somebody right here. Lost people are everywhere. And we need to find them just like the good shepherd and the woman who was looking for her coin. Amen? We come to the last one. And this is really a very familiar story or parable. It's a story that doesn't need much introduction because I'm sure most of us have heard it many times. It's the story of the prodigal son, right? It's really the story of the lost son. Sons, really. I would just say this as a way of introduction on this story is that really I like to divide it into two parts. Because this is a parable about lost things. A sheep, a coin, and it's really the story of two lost sons. It really is. The first lost son, as we'll see, is lost in rebellion. The second one, the older son, is really lost in his respectability. He's lost in his self-righteousness. And we need to find them. And they're both valuable. Let's take a look at it. First, I want you to remember, just like I've remember, <laughs> I've reminded you on the first two. The son belonged to who? Father. This father had two sons, and they belonged to him. 
This, wasn't, this isn't a story of a father finding a neighbor kid. That's a different story. It's a good thing, but a, but a different story. This is a father and a son's story. And a son's story. This son belonged to this father. We'll look at the first one in the first few verses. It's the first son, and it's a story of a rebellious son, his repentance, wonderful restoration, and a joyous party at the end. Let's check it out. Verse 11, story of the lost son. He's a prodigal, rebellious one. Let's check it out. And he said, Jesus, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a faraway country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Like that? And all that that means. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to, the, to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. So the first part of the story, we see a rebellious prodigal. We see kind of the rebellion starting. You can see it in verse uh, 12. You can see an angst in a young man's heart. The younger son said to his father, Give me what you owe me now. An angst. I want my inheritance now. That's an angst. That's a, that's a mindset. I'm longing to be my own boss. I want freedom. I want freedom. I want to be out from under your thumb. I want to be my own boss. I don't want to live under your rules. I want my stuff and I want to go make my way in the world. Right? Any parents heard that before? These rules are dumb. Right? It's an angst in a young man's heart to be his own boss, to do it Frankie Sinatra style my way. I want to make my own rules. I want to be free from your authority, free from rules. I want to do and I want to come and go as I please. That's real freedom. I don't want to answer to anyone. I want the freedom to let my passions fly and be able to do the things I want to do to satisfy myself without being you, my boss and my keeper. That's where it starts. And when you kind of mix that kind of angst with youthful conceit, you get rebellion. That's a volatile mixture. You see, we all don't like to have the thumb under us. We all have that angst of not liking to have a boss. But here's the reality. Most of us are wise enough to know we all have bosses. (laughs) One way or the other. If you don't know that, look at your wife and she's your boss. We're all under somebody, but the youthful conceit mixed with, I think, this kind of mindset leads to rebellion, and that's exactly 
what this young man did in verse 13. He said he gathered all he had and went away to a faraway country. The father gave him his portion of his inheritance and he took off. The freedom that he longed for, as we read, isn't the freedom he found, was it? It was two different things. He ended up broke, hungry, and shamed. The most shameful thing for a Jewish boy is to be with the pigs, don't you think? That's the dirtiest, shameful, most condemning condition of a Jewish young man that you could ever think of. It doesn't mean much to us. I've been in pig pens before. I never felt shamed. A Jewish guy? This was saying, I am shamed. I'm at the bottom of the barrel. I've hit, what do we call it? Rock bottom. That's a Jewish boy thinking about eating the pig slop. That's where he ended up. And it said there that he was all alone. No one gave him anything. Interesting. He got, in my opinion, a really big reality check. He realized that the freedom that he was longing for was not the freedom he got. He had an epiphany, I guess, in a way. And it says that in verse 17, when he said he came to himself. I like that. But when he finally came to himself, that's a great saying. And I think God is telling us there that no one in rebellion is ever yourself. That's not the way we were supposed to live. Finally, all the reckless living. I love that phrase. Because it conjures up recklessness, lavish expenses, every passion fulfilled, every wasteful thing a person can do, every satisfaction of the lusts of the flesh. He probably did. When all that was taken away from him, when it was stripped away, he finally came to himself. I got my fill of it and it kind of scared me. I kind of got to the end of myself and I stripped it away and I came to myself and I got a reality check that I wasn't living the dream as some people say it. I was living a nightmare, right? That this isn't freedom at all. Everything changed all of a sudden. Finally clicked that the freedom he sought was not the freedom he got. He had a whole new perspective, I think, in that moment. It reminds me of a perspective. My wife shared this devotion with me the other day and it just cracked me up. I think it was kind of the perspective that this young boy had. One day, he left a bill for his mom next to the breakfast plate. And you may have heard this story. It cracked me up in this. It said something like this. It was a piece of paper with a bill on it that he left his mom next to his mom's breakfast plate. It said, mowing the lawn, $2. Drying the dishes, $1. Raking leaves, $3. Cleaning the garage, $4. Total owed, $10. Well, the mother did not say anything but went about her work. When the boy came home from school for lunch that day, he found a bill lying beside his plate. And it said something like this. Ironing clothes, nothing. Mending socks, nothing. Cooking meals, Nothing. Bandaging cuts and bruises. Nothing. Baking cookies. Nothing. Total, 
No charge. Love mom. (laughs) I love that. I think that boy probably had an epiphany that maybe he had it better than he thought he had it. Maybe he was getting a little more than he was giving. Amen? And I think that's the thought that this man had at this moment. He looked at it and said, even my father's servants are living better than me. I'm starving. Even the people who are servants in my father's house are better off than me. Light bulb going on, and it's okay because it led to repentance. I will rise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I want to come back to you. Even if it's only as a servant, take me back. That's what I'm going to do. You know, that's true repentance. It's turning from sin and actually changing direction and confessing with your mouth to the Lord, saying the same thing about your sin as God says. It's turning away from sin and to God, agreeing with him that what you did was wrong. That's true repentance. And that's good. That's what he did. And it's awesome. (laughs) The best part of the story, at least, to me is, is that you see a picture of a father running. I see this picture of him looking down the road out his window, waiting for his prodigal. And the very moment he saw him, he came running. Not normal in those days to have an elderly father run. It wasn't honorable in a way but this father came a running and it says in the bible in our chapter here today that he hugged him and kissed him before he said one word it's a beautiful picture is it not this father listened to his son and you may remember he was reciting a little story right he was reciting what he was going to say i'm going to go to my father and say i'm sorry I confess, would you please at least make me a servant again? And the father, after he hugged and kissed him, cut him off. Cut him off. Before he could say, hey, can I at least be one of your servants? The father said to his servants, bring quickly a, my best robe and put it on him. And a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. You see, that's a great picture of a father. A father that's completely restoring compassionately and eager to have restoration with his son, his prodigal. It's a great, beautiful picture of a father restoring his sonship to his son. Just like that. No, you're not... (laughs) You're not a servant. You're my son. Immediately, you will get your robe back, which is a sign of sonship. You're still my son. Put a ring on your finger. You still have every bit of authority of our last name than you when you left this place. In a feast. That was an honorable thing. This is my honorable son, whom I well pleased with. Pretty neat story, I think. Because I think all of us have maybe 
had loved ones that have been prodigals. And we're waiting for them to come back. Amen. It breaks our heart to see them in their reckless state. But you can gain hope and we can be encouraged that there is a compassionate father waiting, willing to run, hug, kiss, and instantly restore them back to the rightful place. Amen? Some of us are this prodigal, right? (laughs) Some of us are the prodigal. And I would ask us this, how's that treating you? It's a bad place to be. Pray that we would come to the end of ourselves in, in a way. No one in a state of rebellion is himself. I'm convinced of that. It's a great story. Unfortunately, the last lost thing that we need to discover is the older brother because he didn't think it was all that cool. And I, I'm the older brother in this picture. I like parables because you can see what actor you are, right? Sometimes you're both, sometimes you're at one time we're probably everything, but, but this is a great picture. The second lost son was a son that was lost in his respectability. This was a, a good man, you'd say, when we check him out here. But ultimately, he was lost in self-righteous bitterness. That's what he was lost in. Check out his response. Right away, he looks like a decent guy to me, verse 25. Now his older brother was in the field. Dude was working. His brother, his brother was out wasting the family inheritance, ruining his good name. He was out working. And when he heard all the noise of the party, he came up and said, when he drew new to the house, he heard the dancing and the music. He called his servants and asked him, what does this mean? In verse 27, the servant said, your brother has come and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Hmm. (laughs) The cool thing about this this part of this, this is really the punchline, I think. I think this is a punchline to the Pharisees. That's what, that's what I think this last part is. It's like, you guys are the older brother. You think you're working so hard. <laughs> you, you think you're so righteous. You can't even come and enjoy people. You can't even. You're religious bigots. You won't even hang out with the lost. You're all stuck in these rules. Verse 28 says, this guy was angry, but he was angry and refused to go in. He's a party pooper. I don't want to go to the party. I'm mad. Look what his father did. His father came out and entreated him. And that's a wonderful thing. Father entreated the older brother, the angry, resentful, bitter one. The Pharisee and all of us. He entreated him. Means this word means it's paraclete. It just means uh, the Greek word means uh, to call to one side. He entreated him. It's to speak softly, side by side. Listen, son, come here. Please change your perspective. He was lost and now he's found. Cannot you celebrate with us? Well. He didn't buy that. He didn't change his perspective. 
He answered his father, verse 29, look at these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Oh, wow. Never? That's a pretty self-righteous statement, amen? I'm very leery when I find myself saying never and always because I'm never, never, always and never. I'm not. There's only one who's always and never, and that's God. And when we say, I've never disobeyed your command, you're saying, I'm self-righteous. That's what you're saying. We need to be very leery of that. I am so self-righteous, and I'm so good. I'm such a prize, older brother. You never even killed a goat for me, let alone a sheep. It's unfair. This is the awesome part about this. The Pharisees didn't get it, and I think, I don't know if we fully get it. Do you know that grace is not fair? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a gift. That's the whole point. Yeah, no duh, it's not fair. Because if you got what you deserved and I got what I deserved, there'd be no celebrating. Amen? It ain't fair. The Father reminds him that grace is not fair and that we should, in verse 31, check it out as we finish, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and at all that I have is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now he was found. It's beautiful. He reminds us that grace... (laughs) really forces us to focus more on what we have than what we don't have. The older son never lost one thing. He still had his place in the family. He still had his job. He still had all his benefits. He didn't lose anything. The only thing he lost was really the spotlight, which he wasn't willing to share. So he was lost in bitterness and self-righteousness. I like in the very end when he calls him your brother. I like that. Because if you follow it back up, (laughs) the first response of the older brother was, your son. You ever say that? Honey, your son just. (laughs) I like that. The father said, no, he's your brother. And this problem is the way that you're relating to your brother. Not the way you're relating to me. It's the way you're relating to your brother. You should be happy. You should join the party. Amen? So listen. The parable of the lost things. One parable in three parts. We all are invaluable to our God. We all have an intrinsic value because we are made in his very image. Don't ever forget that. Whatever state that you are in today, you're valuable to him. So much that he is going to undertake activity to find you and rescue you and redeem you. And when he does, we all should party is basically the message of the story. How does that sound? Amen? Amen. So Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for what we've seen in your character tonight. The way maybe we should treat people 
the way you see him. Father, we're grateful that you are a good shepherd, that you leave the 99 to come and find us when we go astray. We're so grateful for that. We're grateful that you undertake for us in that way. Pray that we would follow your lead and do that for others. And we, Father, I pray as as we go about our night today, that if there are prodigals on one side or the other, people that are lost in a faraway country, living lavishly, rebelling against you and their loved ones, Father, that you would bring them to the end of themselves. And for all the parents out here that are waiting for their prodigals, I pray that you would encourage them. You are a good father and you're waiting, watching, ready to run down the road, to give a hug and a kiss and a robe and a ring and a feast. So be with us tonight as we go our way. Pray that you'd bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen.